Thanks for that piece of shit, Lieutenant, that's always uh, on his podcast. Pass us. him. <laughs> I'm Vito LaBella, retired NYPD lieutenant, a community and education activist, and a candidate for the New York City Council in the 43rd District. Please vote for me, Vito LaBella, during early voting between October 28th and November 5th, or on Election Day, November 7th. I'm Vito LaBella, fighting for New York, and I approve this message. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome New York's finest retired and unfiltered podcast. We're joined today by a former, actually, I hate and I hate saying former, by a retired NYPD lieutenant, served 33 years, Vito J. LaBella. Vito's running for District 43, Southern Brooklyn, New York City Council. He's running on the conservative party ticket line. We're excited to have him here. As always, I'm joined by the most complaint cop in the NYPD, also known as the boogeyman on the streets of the Bronx. Eric S. Dim. Eric, how you doing, my brother? Uh, outstanding. It's a pleasure to have Vito LaBella. Uh, Vito, I, I don't know you personally, but I read your bio. Sounds quite interesting. Of course, you're a fellow law enforcement officer. I think it's going to be a great interview and definitely hear about your story and how you're running for New York City Council. So uh, why don't we get started with it? We know that you have 32 years with the police department. Tell us where you grew up and how you became a cop. Obviously, you came on 32 years ago. It was a much different time. So tell us exactly that. Well, it's what, it's 39 years ago. I, I came on in 1986, January 9th, 86. So it was a long, long time ago, right? I was transit, original transit. Uh, I tell people, you know, they, they, they gave us a, a radio this big that was like a brick. It didn't work. They told us to ride the trains by ourselves from 242nd Street in the Bronx to New Lots Avenue in Brooklyn and this from eight o'clock at night to four in the morning. Right. And we did that for like did that for a year. And then I did midnights in uh, in District one in Manhattan, uh, got promoted a couple of times. And, and my most of my career was spent um, doing quality of life, plainclothes enforcement in District four, which is from the Manhattan Bridge all the way up to one, two, five and Lex. And so, you know, riding the trains every night and playing clothes with the cops, with the cops and the sergeants looking for quality of life. You know, uh, you guys know to service quality of life on the trains. You run a name. Who's got a warrant? Who's wanted for murder? Who's wanted for robbery? Right. Who's on parole? Who's on probation? You know, and, and you take these guys out of the subway system before they can victimize anybody else. Right. You're riding the train at three in the morning, walking between cars. Where are you going? What are you doing? Right. You got a you, you got a history of robbery, history of grand larceny. Right. And now you're and now you're doing stuff. So now we're going to we're going to lock you up for that. And uh, we're going to make sure that you don't victimize somebody. And it worked. Right. We brought crime down from the 1990s, like like way, way up, all the way down to historic lows up into 2016, 2017. De Blasio comes in. He wins his second term. He is unbound. De Blasio unbound all the progressive policies. He stopped playing clothes. Every progressive thing he wanted, he pushed through because there was no checks and balances. There was no reason for him to put the brakes on, right? And so I retired in 2017. I, I couldn't deal with it anymore. And you and you retired out of District 4 too? Where, where'd you retire? Retired out of District 4, yep. And you retired there? I did 20 and then... years in District 4. Wow. Wow, yeah. God bless you. That's awesome, dude. Yeah, that's all. You're a transit cop your whole career then. Now, that's... Yeah. 
that that's good. Yeah. No, that's I mean, I, I never did transit. I mean, I've done it just during details, times when, you know, heightened sciences of security, stuff like that. But I never did it solely. I always kind of wanted it to, to dabble in, in transit. But I was just I was I was a precinct guy. And then I started getting other crazy offers and I bounced all around. Eric was went patrol, but then went housing and state housing. So yeah. we have we have three representations really just just bouncing around. So that's well, transit and housing, right? We're the stepchildren. Then the merge happens, and yeah. now it's like, holy gosh, those are good. De- they became a detail, right? People yeah. actually wanted to go. Yeah, yeah. So, so Vito. So I always believe that cops have like the a very good overall perspective of New York City. What what made you decide to want to become into the political arena? Well, I mean, look, you have to go back from right after I retired. Retired in 2017, like I said about de Blasio and his progressive policies. My kids are in school. Um, we were very active. I retired to work with my wife um, as a PTA president at my kids' middle school. Right? I was supposed to do, um, do the paperwork, do the legal stuff, get them approved for a 501c3. We did that. And then uh, in, I believe, it was June of 2018, de Blasio says that... Uh, there are too many Asians in Stuyvesant and Brooklyn Tech, Staten Island Tech, all of these schools. They're called the specialized high schools. And he wants the limit. So my school was sending 275 out of 300 kids to schools like Stuyvesant and Brooklyn Tech. And he wanted to lower that down to like 33. Right. So that's how I got involved in, in community activism, education activism. And it just snowballed. John, I got to tell you, you know, you start. I, I went from policing a, a demonstration. Now I'm leading a demonstration over the Brooklyn Bridge. You know, we're protesting at City Hall. Um, and I met so many great people, so many great people, people who thought that New York was going in the wrong direction. And, you know, I got involved with the Community Education Council. So that's like a, a school board. If you don't if you don't have kids in New York City, you don't know any of this. It's OK. Uh, um, and, and I just started to get deeper and deeper right? because I felt that you can be a community activist yelling and screaming in the sidelines, but you know what? They'll listen to you a little better if you're a, a state Senate candidate that ran for state Senate last year or a city council candidate or a city council member, right? If I'm the city council common sense caucus and I'm yelling and screaming, you know what? It's a little bit more attention. It's a little bigger bullhorn than just the community activist veto yelling and screaming. Well, I'm curious. Before I ask you, before I ask you this question, where, where did you grow up? Grew up in Brooklyn, born and raised, Severian High School. All right, so we got three three New York City kids here, three New York City cops. We got some commonality already. Yeah. So, John, and I talk about this all the time, right? So you retired 2017, and I think that's really important that we actually drill down on that year because we talk about in the podcast that, especially for me being targeted by an overzealous civilian complaint review board 2018 we started to really feel the job just completely spin on its head and i think the ultimate turning point was actually 2019 where daniel pantaleo was fired by jimmy o'neill and then after that his successor dermot shea just gave the police department away and you talked about the things that you talk about here really reflect on intrusive police work Right, the stuff that you were doing the subways, and that we, and, and you even mentioned plain clothes, where we've been totally retracted from that because of these two specific commissioners, along with these progressive politics. So, for John and I, 
we felt the world's completely changed while we're on the job. And the terminology we hear from a lot of the cops, and we use it also, is it's the same patch but different job. So here you are. You came on the job in 1986. Could you tell me what are the similarities that you felt in 1986 up to 2017 in comparison from 2018 moving forward, and what are the differences? Well, first, like you talk about the, the nexus between politics and, and the progressive shift. 2018 is when Republicans lost the New York Senate. Okay, we had we had the um, we had the independent caucus that would vote with Republicans a lot of the times. We lost Marty Golden, another retired cop, retired detective. Marty Golden was our senator. And and, you know, if you're if you're a Republican in New York, even if you have a slight majority in the Senate, it's not so much what you're pushing through. It's what you're preventing the crazy left from getting through. And once once we lost the Senate, the dam broke open. The dam broke open. That's where we got every single crazy bail reform, raise the age, all of those crazy laws. That's how we lost it. And they went, they overcorrected. If you wanted to tweak it, maybe you could justify it, but they overcorrected so far and we see the results right now. But, you know, 86, the subways, uh, the subways were a way different place in the 70s and the 80s, right? We've seen pictures of it. You think, uh, think warriors, right? Uh, and that, that wasn't, that wasn't too much of an exaggeration. They were, they really were, um, you know, it, it, you took your life in your hands riding the train. Uh, and, and we got that down. You know, we started with, we started with the graffiti removal, locking up graffiti artists, really keeping them, not DAT in them, uh, desk appearance, take it, releasing them right after they get arrested. We didn't do any of that. And, you know, by doing this, it sends the message that, that bad behavior won't be tolerated. And I, I just don't, and I, I don't know, maybe these, maybe these people who came in like in, in the, in the middle of 2015, 10 years after 9-11, they came from God knows where. They look around and say, no, this city is wonderful. I No, I can't imagine that it was so bad, right? They have no clue. They have no clue how bad it was. And they just, they think that, they think that they could do all this stuff and not have a, a negative impact on the city. And they're just so wrong. They are so wrong. Oh, absolutely, man. I mean, and, and just to just to confirm, I mean, I used to ride the train with my mother. My mother was a school crossing guard. Everyone in the community loved her. But we used to ride from the train from Bensonhurst to my mother to my grandmother's neighborhood in Sunset. And my mother would carry a big butcher knife <laughs> in her. It was a scary place covered in graffiti. It looked exactly like it looked exactly like the worst. And that was one of the safer train lines, by the way, in New York City. That wasn't even a, the, one of the more dangerous ones. You know, and it still was it still was a very scary place to to ride the train from to leave. You know, Bensonhurst was was a predominantly safe neighborhood, uh, but it was it was mafia controlled. It wasn't it wasn't because it really wasn't because of the Dinkins era style policing at that at that time when I was a kid, you know. And um, so but, Vito, like like for people that don't understand New York City and don't understand what these progressive Marxists have done to New York City, what do you think are the major issues plaguing New York City? We spoke offline and I think we basically agree, but for the audience, could you could you just elaborate on what, what your platform is and what you believe the major, major issues that are plaguing New York City are? So, so 
you know, we do surveys. We talk to the talk to the voters. There's some data analytics involved. Every survey, every poll comes back again and again and again. The number one issue, safety and quality of life. Okay. We're talking about the stuff. They don't feel safe. We're talking about uh, the, the all of the stuff behind glass. We're talking about e-bikes running people over. This sense of lawlessness that's, that's just pervasive throughout New York City. And I was at a, a precinct community council last year, and I was a bit of a jerk because the, the, the CEO is up there trying to do his tap dance. And he says, oh, you know, our crime is down. Our crime is down. Saying again and again. And I said, excuse me, boss, um, when you talk about crime is down, you're talking about the eight crimes, right? Eight felony crimes, right? What about the stuff that really people see, the violations, the pedal larcenies, this and that? I mean, that's the stuff that people are talking about. That's what makes them feel unsafe. The homeless people on the corner that, that no one addresses anymore. That's the stuff. And he's like, he had a back pedal. I felt bad after he said, you know, Vito, you're a retired lieutenant. Why'd you do that to me? I said, I'm sorry, boss. I mean, I know you got to do, I know what you got to do, but now you can say that this jerk LaBella who's running for Senate or city council, he's out there and it gives you an out. It gives you the ability to say, well, we know that we know that, that, that crime is up as far as pedal arsons and quality life conditions. And we know, well, I, I have to do something, I have to address it because I have this jerk LaBella you know, asking me about it, the community precinct council. But that's the number one issue. Most recent, most recently, number two, believe it or not, migrants, migrants in New York City. That's um, and there's so much stuff we could talk about that. And then three is cost of living. And um, I got to say, I I'm disappointed, disheartened because it's the stuff that I care about. How I got into this education, that's like single digits. When when you, I mean, you have to have a kid in public school. You have to you have to kind of know what's going on and you have to care. Right. So uh, unfortunately, uh, only a small percentage of the population cares about um, the public schools and education. But, hey, you know, uh, I care about it. And what I try to communicate to people that it's all related, it's all related. During the 80s and 90s, the schools were crap. The schools were, were crazy. You wouldn't send your kid to public school. I went to Catholic school my whole career, my whole my whole education. And, and as they as the Bloomberg and Giuliani era, 20 years of improving quality in the schools, that's why we saw enrollment in Catholic and private schools go down because people said, wow, the public schools are good. Why do I want to spend this money? I can send them to public schools. So as the subways got better, as the schools got better, people came in to New York City instead of moved out of New York City. People invested their time. I mean, I grew up in Brooklyn. I decided to buy the house next to my mom and dad. So my kids are being raised in Brooklyn. We went to public school in Brooklyn because we still had good schools. It was only 2018 when they decided to upend everything that I got involved in, in politics and activism. Uh, I'm actually, uh, I'm really excited that you just spoke about this. And I want to reflect on the NYPD just had their third quarter meeting for the year of 2023 where they reflect on crime. And uh, John and I are pretty expressive. We had put out some tweets and stuff on Instagram in relations to this uh, this particular meeting. And in particular, uh, Chief John Shell actually spoke. And I don't know if you had an opportunity I to saw see you. this. So you did, right? And what did he say? He's, and the reason why, let me just circle back before I say that. Yeah. The reason why I think it's so important, for me, I'm a firm believer that safety is paramount. And in order to have a thriving city and a flourishing city, 
financially, economically, emotionally, safety has to be the number one priority in order for everything else to blossom. And so we see the effects. I mean, John recently, he's in Florida. He recently went to New York for, for the summer. And immediately, he and I spoke constantly. He said he could feel it and he could see it. But what Chief John Shell said at this quarterly meeting is that we need to have this narrative constantly about the perception of safety and crime. And, th th and this is where I find extremely problematic is if the crime is legitimately down, and John has actually put up the actual CompSat numbers to show that it's actually inaccurate. And I do agree what you're saying. Maybe in some categories when it comes to set, uh, major felony crimes are down, but Pettit Larcy is all over the place. The quality of life has just completely diminished. Those issues are not being addressed. The homelessness, the mental, the mental health. So what he's saying is he's trying to sell the public that, hey, you should feel safe. But if crime and, and safety are correlating and, and the crime is down, we shouldn't have to sell it. It should feel safe. So what is your stance on that when, when it comes – what would – what would your relationship be if, if you get into the city council? What would your relationship be with the present commissioner right now when it comes to safety? Would you have open conversations? What would be the ultimate goal to have a nexus and a relationship with the commissioner as we speak? Well, so look, so hey, fingers crossed I get in. I'm part of the Common Sense Caucus. We grow it um, to 10 or 11, the Common Sense Caucus, right? So that means we're outnumbered 40 to 11 on the city council. 26 city council members are DSA, progressive members, 26, more than half, right? So we have to be realistic. I have a character flaw. I don't lie to people. I don't overpromise. Um, what are we gonna do? So we're gonna have to, as a group, and if we could really flip South Brooklyn and we, and we have Staten Island, we could have this, this, this really geographic area that says, listen, this area, is voting, is telling you what they want. I want the cops to take over peddler enforcement again. I want the cops to take over homeless outreach again. We have homeless. Listen, human behavior, you need the carrot and the stick. You have to reward good behavior. You have to punish bad behavior. These individuals, they're on the street. They're coming back. They're they are really, you know, it's so hard to, to deal with the same homeless person again and again and again. They're not just homeless. We know that. They're mentally ill, they're drug addicted, they're alcoholic. You know, that's what the main issue is. How are we letting them stay here and not and not give them the help? But it's like, okay, you could come to the hospital, you could get into a program, you get into a, a, a group home, you can't stay in the subway, we're gonna help you. But if you keep on coming back and spreading out your boxes and making it a, a tent city, you're gonna end up going to jail. So it's gonna be jail if you if you violate the law you violate quality of life statutes, or it's going to be some kind of program where you're off the streets, because it's not just your rights. It's the rights of everybody else around you that you're impinging on. So yeah, you got to just send that message, send that message. You know, we want to try to address everything holistically. So I get a lot of complaints along the 8th Avenue commercial corridor or along the um, 86th Street commercial corridor of um, unlicensed peddlers, right? We have store owners you know, paying rent, paying taxes. They got to put up all the onerous regulations from the city. And you have people set up right outside their store selling a lot of times similar stuff, lower quality, no taxes, no, they're not paying anything. And how is that right? We got to get these people out of there. It's maybe, maybe we have a, maybe we have a, a an area where we have a, a, a market 
a, a public flea market in a, in a municipal parking lot somewhere. So these individuals can sell their stuff without impacting the, the store owners. And, but if they, but once they, once they go back, we, we got it. We have to, you know, we have to send a message. You come back here, you're going to get summons. You're going to get arrested. We're going to confiscate yourself. This is not a place that you can stay. Absolutely. I, I actually love it. I actually love your platform. I, I didn't really know much about it until today. And I, and I, and I appreciate you being honest with it. You know, you're really, you're really trying to get yourself in there as, as a defensive back, basically at this point, and that's what what I, I I believe the the pathway for New York City is is we have to take back these seats in in New York City Council in every and state Senate and state Assembly in the lower seats in in all of these little public advocates office anything that has a platform or a voice we need common sense people to get back in there and get New York City back on track but as of right now yes you're outnumbered we need defensive backs in there we need people that aren't going to align uh Vito mentioned the DSA 26 members of New York City Council are DSA that is the Democratic Socialists of America uh I have just recently come to find out today that they actually blocked me on Twitter preemptively before I actually got to say anything to them we had a horrible tragedy tragedy yesterday in Israel and for those of you that aren't aware, New York City is compromised of every ethnicity, creed, color, religion, sexual preference, anything you could think of. We have a community for it in New York City. And, you know, so my heart goes out to the people of Israel and I, a thousand percent. But I have plenty of friends who are Palestinians. I have plenty of friends who are anti the state of Israel and they have issues with it. But. They don't support the loss of innocent life. What we saw yesterday was horrific. Today at one o'clock, New York City, the Democratic Socialists of America will be calling for an end to apartheid in Times Square in New York City. I mean, if that's not the exact wrong message to send, I believe it's lighting gasoline on flames, the flames that are already stoking, flames of hate, flames of division, we're supposed to be as Americans, and, and I want politicians in office that are going to lead, that lead everyone and understand everybody from both sides. I don't believe that that's the, the goal of the Democratic Socialists of America. I believe that throwing gasoline on the fire. Vito, what do you have to say to the DSA about, uh, particularly about this event that they're hosting today? Dude, thank you so much, because it is a tight, it's, it, it is a tightrope. So... We saw on on Twitter, we saw these images of 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 women, girls, babies being dragged naked through the streets. Uh, I mean, screaming. I mean, I think of my daughter. Imagine somebody, you know, comes to your house, grabs your daughter and, and takes her away at gunpoint. You're not supposed to make analogies with the Holocaust. But every single World War II movie, every movie about the Holocaust, where you saw the Nazis came in. And, and dragged Jews out of their homes and took them away. How could you not see the, see the similarities? I mean, I got so angry, so upset. But at the same token, I know my dear friends in the, in the Arab community, they are horrified, horrified about what happened. They would, they would stand up to it in a heartbeat. And whenever we talk about a specific thing. And this is something that I think sometimes you guys, thank you. You understand because you're cops. You understand protect and serve have no qualifiers after it. We protect and we serve everyone. 
So, you know, what, what I say to is that these individuals, Hamas, they did something horrible. But we should never, 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 never conflate that with our Muslim and our Arab brothers and sisters living in New York, trying to live their lives, that they, they may have a, a sympathy for Palestine or the Arab community over there, but they're here. I say Bay Ridge and Borough Park are not at war. They're not shooting scuds at each other. They want to practice their religion. They want to live their life. They want to raise their children. And everyone in New York City should have the right to do that without, like you said, the DSAs, instead of calling peace, what they're doing inadvertently or maybe intentionally is they're calling for more violence. And we should be disgusted by them. Uh, thank you so much for saying that. I'm absolutely appalled by this entire thing. And you know, I was happy that when John put it out today about the event that's happening, he just put one word, and I think it says it all, evil. You know, it's legitimately evil. I myself, I've actually been uh, accused of being some white supremacist, I guess, my appearance, but I actually, I actually am, am of Jewish heritage. I had a bar mitzvah myself. I have generation family members that emanated from Israel. And I've worked with numerous uh, members from the police department that were of Palestinian descent. And we would never advocate for this type of violence on both sides. And especially in New York City, it's so important on our stance and, he, and how we act. It's so important because arguably, and, and it's actually a fact, there are more Jewish people in New York City than in most cities in Israel as we speak. I think the only city that has more Jewish people is Tel Aviv than New York City. But so it is extremely problematic here. I think that this could, should be shut down and just not allowed at all. Yes, there's a First Amendment right for speech, but the police department also has a duty to have their intelligence to decipher if there's potential for violence and we could actually just completely curb it. But it's unfortunate. What we're seeing is that in situations like this, the police department completely retracts themselves They'll operate in a delicate manner, as we've heard from Jeffrey Madry, chief of, of New York City Police Department, about handling youths at a riot in a delicate manner. And this is what I want to ask you about and going further. But yet, when we have Curtis Sliwa and his constituents and his cohorts in Staten Island protesting illegal immigrants, right, illegal activity, but they're met aggressively by the police department. That's what I find problem, problematic. What is, your, what is your stance on what's going on right that? right now with what's going on in Staten Island with the way the police department has been handling in comparison to the riots at Union Square. Right, so, I mean, look, we have to have one standard for everybody. One standard, as soon as the violence starts, that's when you take action. That's when you say, okay, this is now, this is not a protest, this is not a celebration, destruction of property, people getting injured, boom, now that becomes whatever it was, now it's a riot. Now, okay, now you, you have to break up the crowd. I'm all for de-escalation, right? So listen, you want to talk, you want to try to negotiate, you want this, but once, once, but once that don't work, plan B. And plan B is, you know, full enforcement. You break up the crowd, you send everybody home. And if they engage in violence, you put them in the, the flex cuffs and, you know, you send them down. And at the very least, they're getting disorderly conduct summonses and let them cool off the cell for an hour and, and, and get rid of them there. But you have to aggressively address violence, aggressively address violence. The migrant issue, I was with Curtis at uh, Cannonball Park in Bay Ridge. He had a protest, very peaceful. We had 500 people, peaceful, uh, 500 people there. 
Um, the migrant issue is is touchy. That again, this is a national issue. Okay, I, we got to replace the president next year. Got to replace him. Okay, we want to close the border. You could have one of those buoys, those Hunger Game buoys. Have them from the the mouth of the of the Rio Grande all the way down to to the the head of the Rio Grande. That's fine. Totally secure the border. But that's not going to be the city council's job, right? Right now, as it stands, there are three things about the migrant issue that I want to talk about. Um, we have migrant children in schools who are not vaccinated. Migrant children in schools who are not vaccinated. Okay. My kids went to public school. You need the MMR. You need a whole host of vaccines to go to school. These kids are getting a waiver. We need to have vaccination clinics with school nurse, nurse practitioners that are making sure these kids are examined. These kids have a pediatrician and these kids are getting all of the vaccines they need to stay in school. Because what unvaccinated kids do in a school is it really jeopardizes the safety of kids who are immunocompromised and can't get vaccinated for medical reasons. And that's how you have outbreaks. I was told that in CEC2, which is lower Manhattan, we've had outbreaks of, of measles. We have had outbreaks of, of all of these things because these kids awesome. are not vaccinated, right? We, we have to address that. Let's address the problem. That's the first problem. Second problem, schools are not shelters. Public parks are not shelters. You know, we should not be taking away resources and amenities and necessities from from our from our New Yorkers, our kids, our fellow New Yorkers to house these migrants. Okay, we got to figure it out. And if there's no more room, there's no more room. Sorry, there's no vacancy. You got to go somewhere else. You don't have a place to go. You got to figure it out. You can't stay here. Three, you've seen the New York Post article and this dovetails to transit and also policing. We have young kids, six, nine, 12 years old, riding the subways, selling, selling candy, selling candy. First off, it, it, it infuriates me because you have kids selling candy. You have kids being trafficked. The same, you know, you have more desperate parents, you know, are selling those kids could get thousands of bucks. The parents, the people here, maybe coyotes, thousands of bucks to traffic these kids. Horrible, horrible. It just, it enrages me. I, I just, I feel a sense of helplessness that I know that these kids are being victimized. But let's talk about, guys, we're all on the job, right? Can the poor cop see this kid and, and bring this kid in? What's the lieutenant on the desk going to say? He's like, oh, Jesus, this is going to kill the post that the next lieutenant coming in on the desk is going to have to cover, send the kid to the hospital, send the kid to ACS, all this paperwork. So, I mean, you know, everyone's going to get their chops busted for trying to address this, and, and then the kid's going to get out. We used to have Operation Toolbox in transit, right? It was basically, you know, 24-hour period, two-day period. You lock everybody up, you have full enforcement, and then, you, and then you monitor how we did by the districts, by the platoon, to ensure that to get everybody engaged in, in the effort. We need Operation Save the Children, where we have set up all of the resources available so that we can take these migrant kids, we can take them to a centralized location, get them checked out health-wise, get them... Tell the parents, listen, this is warning. This is one warning. Where are your kids going to school? Get them assigned to a school. Make sure they're going. If we see your kid in the subway again, you're, we're going to take this kid away from you. We're going to put this kid in foster care. Your kids cannot sell candy or anything else on the subway. And we have to have this very, it's got to be a broad, 
it's got to be a broad, holistic, all agency initiative uh, to get these kids out of the subways, into schools, vaccinated. You know, we have to address the problem. Let's close the border. I mean, I get called a libtard. Remember that word? I get called a libtard because I want to give these kids vaccinations and I want to I want to get out of the system. But we, these kids are here now. So we have an ethical and moral responsibility to take care of them. Right. Then we close the border and, you know, send everybody. The other thing we want to do is remember, we used to we used to work with immigration. So you run somebody and and he wasn't here legally and you lock him up for robbery. You lock him up for whatever he's getting. He's getting called all the time. You can make a phone call and you give him to ICE and you get him out of the system. So he's not a problem anymore. The very least we should do. We don't cooperate with ICE anymore. The police department doesn't. The very least, anybody who commits a violent crime should be checked through, e-verify, make sure they're here legally, make sure what their status is. And if they're here conditionally or illegally, you know what? You're committing robberies. You're committing um, violations or petty larcenies again and again. You're recidivist. Guess what? You're not of good moral character. That should still count. When my grandparents came, when your grandparents came, you had to be of good moral character to become a citizen to stay in the United States. We got to go back at least to that standard. And that's reasonable, right? I always start with, let's see what we can get the most consensus for. The most consensus, for. We, we get more people on board and work toward that. Because the other, the big stuff, you know, if you just concentrate on everything, if you have this purity test, what do they say? Don't let the good, um, don't let the, the, the great be the enemy of the good. We, we have to try to address what we can, what we have a lot of consensus for. I mean, the hypocrisy in New York City, though, is it's just on such a level. I mean, I, I couldn't yeah. finish my career. I had to vest out with 18 years on because I wouldn't take one shot that did not act as promised. My children, my children could not eat in restaurants. I could not take them to the zoo. I could not. They could not partake in after school activities. They were separated at lunch tables. All of this stuff. And then we just let people in that are completely a risk to the public. My children were of no risk to the public. They had COVID because I brought it home to them because yep. I served the city in the line of duty. I brought it home to them. I had it myself. We had antibodies. And we were treated. We were told we shouldn't get hospital care. We weren't allowed to partake in society in New York City. Um, I do agree with you, though, that, yes, that, like as much as I support medical freedom, I support the medical freedom. The same shots that my children and your children were required to get, everybody should get. If you're coming in this country illegally, which because, again, they're not asylum seekers. The majority of these people are not asylum seekers, even though that's what they're being called. They are not coming from asylum seeking countries. By definition, they don't fit that criteria. So they're entering the country illegally. But I know we have hearts. I, America has a big heart. New York City has a big heart. We love women. We love children. We love families. We love people that want to come here and work. And, and it's not we can't hold them accountable because they want to come to live in the best place in the world, in the greatest country in the world, in the greatest city in the world. But, you know, they chase lifelong residents like myself out. They chase lifelong residents like Eric out, our children out, and we're just telling the whole world, "Come in! You, you don't, you're not, you're exempt from all these rules." I personally think that 
Yes, we need to close the border 1,000%. But I personally think that the mayor is highlighting, New York City Mayor Eric Adams is highlighting exactly what you do not do as a city. He's showing the world exactly what you do not do. And he's failing on a grandstand. He's failing miserably. I put out a post uh, yesterday, went pretty viral, got a couple hundred thousand views of him saying, we need to keep the border open. Um, We need to keep the border open. That's what, this is New York City mayor. You know, he wakes up each morning, he flips a coin, different ways. When did he say that? Three days ago, right before he went on his trip. Three days ago, right before. He had to close the border. When did he flip? Three days ago, check my post. Three days ago, he holds a press conference right before he gets on his plane and goes around. We need to keep the border open, right? And then my other problem is, is his right to shelter law does not apply to these people. But he continues to play the game that it that oh it applies it applies it does not apply and and I I, I continue to say that he's incentivizing them and, I, and that's where I think he's failed. What do you think about New York City mayor's handling of particularly just a migrant crisis? He could with a with a stroke of a pen say that New York City is the right to shelter is for New Yorkers only. New Yorkers only. That's what the original intention was. That was the original intention. And the fact that you could come here from any place in the world and be guaranteed 90 days of of free room and board, that's just ridiculous. Of course, it's incentivizing it. And, you know, and what you said is 100% correct that these individuals will eventually not qualify, but they're getting pieces of paper. So I don't call them illegal because we've invited them in. We, we, we say that, OK, you're an asylum seeker. We, you know, here. Yes. Here's this piece of paper. Your hearing date is in 2030. You know, come back in seven years. And then they come to New York City, which is a sanctuary city. So if they never come back, no one's going to look for them. No one's going to look for them. So we incentivize people coming here in so many ways by not cooperating and getting rid of people who commit crimes. And we don't call ICE. That incentivizes people to come here by don't checking to see if everybody in an institution, whether it's a restaurant or a supermarket, is everybody is everybody legally working? Do they have employment identification numbers? You could get an employee identification number without being a citizen. And at least at least you're paying, you know, you're paying withholding taxes. You're paying um, they're, they're paying workers comp. They're paying disability insurance. They're putting away Social Security. They're putting money into Medicare. So at least they're 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 supporting the system instead of this under the table, this this undercover or underground economy that's that's really taking resources from from all of us. That's why Social Security is going broke. So, yeah, we, we have to do a whole bunch of things. Everything you said, the one thing that the city council could encourage the mayor to do is, again, stroke of a pen. New York City is not a sanctuary city. We do cooperate with ICE and the right to shelter applies to New Yorkers. Absolutely. I I love everything you're saying. We're we're all in agreement here. I I say it all the time. I feel that when crossing the border, it's the analogy I always use. It's almost like, you know, you're playing football and and you you hit the 50-yard line and there's all these signs free food, free shelter, and a potential for, for getting work. 
So if you get to New York City, you got the touchdown. So, yeah. and, and again, you know, when we reflect on Mayor Eric Adams here, uh, I mean, he's there's no one better at double talking than Mayor Eric Adams. And, and exactly what John said. A couple of days ago, we heard something completely different. And we heard, if you get a chance to look at John's Twitter, and, and you can hear his speech where he says, you know, our position is open borders. And we're going to have a decompression plan. He doesn't. He, he's great when it comes to words and terms and names, but he doesn't actually explain what this decompression plan is. I have no idea how are you decompressing this plan when when you decompressing this plan when they have ninety days to stay. It just doesn't make any sense. I mean, I think I think it's just it, it's so absurd. Again, I mean, did he really need to go to Mexico Mexico to see what's going on with the migrant crisis? You could just look at Google Maps and you could just see it's out of control. I mean, you really. Does he really need to do that? And since when does a mayor bypass Washington to go to Mexico? Why, if anything, go to Washington and petition there? Why is he going to Mexico? He's to, to go out in front hands? What is that? Because he's what? He's auditioning yeah. for president, right? That's what he's doing. It, it sure appears that way. But I'd like to uh, just move on from this topic. Because this is very near and dear to me, right? You're running for New York City Council. And I, I, I as coined as the most complaining cop, have been extremely affected by overzealous civilian complaint review board. And the civilian complaint review board really ties into New York City Council. Because New York City Council has implemented progressive laws and policies that give the CCRB ammunition to weaponize against police officers that do intrusive police work. So the diaphragm law, which I think is, a, you know, extremely ridiculous but fortunately it's never been weaponized against a cop yet but it's on the books i do think at some point and also the right to know this handing out of business cards to law enforcement officers if you do get elected and i hope you do would there be any pushback from yourself on these right to know business cards especially being a former law enforcement yourself and also you know that how how dynamical it is to arrest someone, especially in a tussle, especially if you're in transit working alone with this diaphragm law. So there's a YouTube video where I discuss this. Um, we remember the cop at 125 in Lex. Um, you know, he was dealing with this kid and this kid jumped him. He's fighting for his life, right? He, he can't help struggling with this guy, violating the law. How do you not wrestle with someone and get them down and you know uh, the the same move that um poor daniel pantaleo did on eric gardner i did that move a hundred times right i'm a little guy he was a little guy you get up it's like a wrestling move it was not a chokehold a chokehold constricts the carotid arteries or the or the trachea okay that's a chokehold he had him in a headlock a wrestling move you can see in a high school i don't know if they still do it but you take them and you use your weight and you get them down, okay? Eric Gardner died of positional asphyxia uh, and a heart attack brought on by positional asphyxia. They could have gave him better medical care, but I thought that the criminal culpability was not there and Staten Island did a, did a, did a, did a good job. You know, I would have said, stand him up, you know, check his breathing. I was that kind of a person where I made sure that everyone's okay, check on the cops. But this sergeant there should have done that. Daniel's just fought for his life. He's out of breath. He's got this focus thing going on. The sergeant shows up. It's the sergeant's job to pick up the ball and make sure that everything is being handled. 
making sure the bus is coming, making sure everyone's getting treated. And she was brand new. You know, she didn't, she could have done a better job, but she didn't lose her job, right? She got a 30-day rip and then whatever she did. Poor Daniel was a scapegoat. Now, I was, I'm friends with Jimmy O'Neill, but I thought that that decision was purely political and, and I was so disappointed in that decision because we have cops, listen to this, I and mean, you guys know, we have cops that are indicted for, for a manslaughter or murder, indicted, go to trial, are acquitted, and they keep their job. This guy, Daniel, he was never indicted. They looked at him in the city, state, not city, but state, federal, they didn't have anything on him. And he lost his job. That's, it, it was just totally political. I, it's just that kind of stuff enrages me as well. It makes me so angry because it's so hypocritical. It's it's throwing these cops on the cops got to get the benefit of the doubt when they're wrong. I mean, I we have a list of cops that are just totally wrong, right? Derek Chauvin, totally wrong. The cops in Brooklyn, South Brooklyn, who who lock up this girl for marijuana, have sex with them in the back of the car. Please, I I I call out bad behavior because we have to. If we, if we don't call out bad behavior when it happens, then when there's a case that's like a marginal, we lose our credibility. We lose our credibility. That's why it's so important to, to, to like this cop in the Bronx raped a woman at gunpoint. I heard not one, I heard not one, but one cop from his command was at his trial, right? I remember the cop, uh, it was a cop who raped an Asian woman in an alleyway. He was in talks, it was a few years ago. I, I guess you don't remember. Um, yeah, it was it was horrible. And then, of course, the ninth precinct, the midnight cops, you know, this drunk woman, they're, they're, they're calling in false jobs and going up and spending time in this woman's apartment. Give me a break. What the hell's wrong with you? These cops make all of our jobs so much harder. They put they put good cops in jeopardy. Uh, they give they give the progressive left the excuse they need to put more and more regulations on us. And yeah, of course, diaphragm law is a state law. As a state senate candidate, I spoke about that law. As a city council candidate, I would I would certainly push back to try to put a justification exception into that law, right? So there's no justification in that law. You have to be you you have to hope that Bragg or or Gonzalez or some other liberal DA doesn't decide to make an example out of a cop because he was fighting for his life and maybe this guy this guy had a heart attack or died while 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 he's struggling with the cop. So yeah, I, the, the 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 business card thing, I'm kind of like you know I mean, uh, to me like okay yeah here's a card here's a card here's a card. I don't see that that's a, an undue an undue hardship on the cops really, really. Uh, but maybe I'm wrong. You know, convince me otherwise. Yeah, well, we say about the 50A and about the business card that it basically empowers it empowers the public to to come after you. I mean, if you see, we have numerous videos of officers just standing on the corner and people just surrounding them. Let me get a business card, right? And now if you don't give them the business card, you're guilty. You're getting an abusive authority CCRB. So they're, they're only doing that to file a complaint against you. So you're emasculated. You give them the business card. And now they're sitting there. And I don't know, you have something on your record, an abusive authority for not giving another business card. And they're just using it to empower and harass cops. And I think that's the biggest thing. You've been out a while, so I, I don't, I could see why you wouldn't know, know about it. And I, I could see why most people won't think it's a big deal, 
but it is a lot bigger deal than I think gets made of it because of that, because it, it is emasculating the sense of authority from cops. And, you know, you got a guy like Eric. And the other thing about that right to know act is you have a guy like Eric Dim. He served the city honorably for 20 years. He never received discipline from the NYPD. He was found guilty administratively by the CCRB. Now on his record, his 50A, it's eternal. We're releasing, we're releasing criminal records seven years. It doesn't matter what you did. If you don't get in trouble again, we're getting rid of criminal records. But Eric Dim, when he goes to get a job, he will be the most complained about cop forever. I don't think he'll be the most complained cop forever because I think the new guys are going to far surpass him because of ridiculous laws that the New York City Council passed. But I think that what they did is not only ruin him in his career, but they ruined him after. This is eternal. Like there is no reason any longer that you should be able to pull up Eric Dim's 50A. He has a good guy letter from the NYPD. He retired honorably. Why do I need to know that he had an abuse of authority for not giving someone a business card? Why do I need to know? Why why is that public information? But a guy that raped a little girl seven years ago, we're expunging his record. I mean, it's, it's, it's insanity. And that's the thing where it's something, it's like one of those little laws that nobody knows about, but it's, it, I think it's it's much bigger and and it needs to be addressed on a bigger level because well, I like that that's a that's a great argument right yeah. the whole thing with we're expunging all the marijuana convictions are gone right marijuana convictions they're all gone fine except mine except what <laughs> <laughs> so, so, why not I mean especially if a cop retires listen now they they pulled up my 50a it was so funny because uh you know I have um, I have exonerated uh, complaints. Who gets exonerated, right? Because it was just total BS. And they were they were on and on because over 32 years, I think I had five five complaints, none founded, uh, two exonerated, three uh, unfounded. And they're going on and on about how horrible I was. Like, and someone, you're right, Eric Chan. If someone doesn't know, oh, he had five complaints. I've complained 32 years. I was on the road the entire time. The entire time I was locking people up. And I got five complaints. Jesus. Uh, One exonerated, two exonerated. Who gets exonerated? Uh, You know, so it's like, uh, yeah, we just have to um, educate people. Um, I'm more concerned. The business card to me, okay, I understand what you're saying. And when you just ask for something and then 50 people ask for it, they just want they just want to get the cop for something. So yeah, I get it. I get it. You got to be reasonable, right? So, but what really concerns me with, with the CCRB is the, the, the evidentiary laws that they use. You could use hearsay, anonymous, anonymous testimony. None of, there should be a strict standard where you have to have rules of rules of evidentiary rules that really protect these cops the same way you would protect any other defendant. Uh, I mean, that that bothers me the most because that's taking money out of people's pockets, impacting their careers. And, and really, it's uh, it's just not right. It's not right. Like uh, expunging, which is another thing. You retired. You're no longer in the police department. You know what? That shouldn't be public knowledge anymore. Well, what John said, he is 100% right. As of now, I am the most complaint cop, but I do believe that someone is going to far surpass me. And here's why. 
not because they did more intrusive police work than I did or along my teams. It's because of the disciplinary matrix. And I'm sure you're aware of it. That's what was weaponized against me. So when the CCRB started to attack me, they started to attack me at the inception of the disciplinary matrix because they built their own algorithm for me. So I had no, I had no discipline record. I had absolutely nothing. Ironically, I received a five almost every year as a supervisor within the NYPD, which you know is the top. And I was getting awards for the same incidents I was involved in that I had gotten substantiated by the CCRB. And what CCRB did was they built up their own algorithm for me. And I'm sure you know with the disciplinary matrix, you have presumptive factors, right, which is automatic penalties. But you have mitigating and aggravating. Obviously, mm -hmm. I never got any mitigating. They only gave me the aggravating. aggravating. And what they did was, right, they substantiated every complaint against me. And even though the statute of limitations were exceeded on many of those, they used those substantiations to use as aggravating factors for other cases to say, well, you didn't hand the business card. Normally, that would be an ACD. Our cops know that. For anyone that's watches that it's not a cop, that's an in-house Discipline from your commanding officer. After one year, it gets removed from your record. The most you can lose is five vacation days, right? But because you're Eric Dim and you have all these substantiated CCRBs, you have aggravating factors. For that same case of not handing your business card, you're now getting charges. You're going to the administrative trial room. That's what I find extremely problematic. What's your take on this disciplinary matrix, especially when I talk about being attacked as an, you know, from this overzealous civilian complaint review board? Other cops are going to far surpass me, especially the cops that are out there now wearing khakis, doing intrusive police work, involved in these car chases. They are going to be affected by this as well. And that's been my complete argument. Well, I mean, I want to dovetail to something similar. Um, and, and we're getting these, and this is the district attorneys who are not doing their job, right? The same way we expunge marijuana convictions or other convictions after a certain amount of time. We, we, we're, we're targeting cops with all these aggregating factors, this and that, the other thing. But we have a serial burglar doing South Brooklyn, seven, eight, nine burglars, bur burglaries. You're, oh. you're collaring them. And I'm sorry, John. Oh, no big deal. It's just a few burglaries. No big deal. Not no, violent. Yeah, right. Not violent. But, but back in the day, you would want, you would, you would, you would charge him and go to trial on the most serious one the one you had him dead to rights on, get a conviction, and then subsequent subsequent um, burglary charges say, listen, we got you on one, you know, we're gonna we're gonna try you on this one and this one and this one, and then we're gonna try ask for consecutive sentences. Now they lump them all together. They lump every single thing together and they give them a BS. They they give them a you, and you there's no more getting like eight, nine years for, for one burglary, never mind eight. Now they, they give you what, 18 months? You could do a string of burglaries, victimize dozens of people, and 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 you're they're lumping it together, con, uh, concurrent sentences instead of consecutive sentences. And it's the district attorney's job to be play hardball. It's the defense attorney's job to negotiate and defend. And this is the topsy-turvy world that we live in. So I'm also, I want to plug my my um my audio and video podcast. Vito Labella fighting for New York. Um, it's not just me. So my advocacy over the last six years, I have come into contact with so many great people. 
fabulous people, ordinary people, you know, took time from their from their lives, from their comfortable positions, accomplished careers, private sector careers, you know, and they and they got involved. They fought. And um, one of the person I'm going to interview is um, this is going to so part of my my podcast is I'm going to bring these people on as guests and we're going to have similar conversations. What motivated you to get involved? You know, what motivated you to leave finance or, or you know, you're, you're a tax attorney? What motivated you to come and do this and, and hear their stories? Because that's what we do. We have to activate. We have to activate ordinary New Yorkers. We have to activate Dems that were Dems their whole life. And they're like, oh, my God, what are they doing? This is not this is not the Democrat Party that I know. We got to get more people to come over. Um, but so I want to I'm going to interview a guy that's a tax attorney and he's going to run for district attorney against Alvin Bragg next year. So, I mean, that's the kind of person he says, I, I, I have to run against this guy. This guy's insane. This guy's insane. And these are the people that we really have to we have to elevate them. We have to give them a voice and we have to get our message out. No, absolutely. I think uh, I think that's what we're you know that's what we're we're trying to accomplish as well. You know, I, we would love to interview them too. So, you know, feel free to send send them over to me too. We'd love to have them on. Anyone that's yep. running against Alvin Bragg, we we would uh, we would definitely love to speak to or on anything. And that's what you know because I I personally believe we we are the news now. There was a time period where I started to get out onto national TV to speak about to speak about woke DAs and criminal and, and, and to crime and crime strategies. And then when, you know, it became politically inconvenient for it to have me on because of my stance on medical freedom and my religious freedom in, in uh, New York city and how I believe that tied into the mass exodus in the NYPD, you know, all those calls stopped, you know, I was, I was shunned. I was 10, four, however. So, you know, we started this podcast and it's been, you know, and, and through advocacy on social media. And I think that's the, the important message. You know, I, listen, I, I, I support anybody's views, even if I don't agree with you, I, I don't want to shut down the, the democratic socialists of America. I think they're horrible people. I'm not trying to say let's, let's restrict their ability to have free speech or to hold that thing. But what I'm saying is, we should be out there condemning it. We shouldn't be afraid to speak about it. We shouldn't be afraid to go out there and have a point of view. Um, I do condemn the murdering of innocent life, and I don't care what side of the aisle you're on. If you're on my side and you want to see innocent people, women and children die, old people getting killed at a bus stop, you're a terrible person. I condemn you. That is disgusting. It's awful. I don't. You, there's nothing that you could do to get me to align with you at all. Um, but... What, uh, what, what my whole point, I'm sorry, I, I, I'm sorry, there's so much stuff in New York City, it just it kind of overwhelms me at some points, because there's just so much we could talk about. Um, so that's, you know, that's the, the main idea. So where could we find you is one, I know you said you're on YouTube. Um, are there any other platforms you're going to be on? What other social media aspect? I know you're on Twitter, you use your name on Twitter, what other social media platforms you have? So, and yeah, first of all, John, I want to, I I want to apologize. I want to say how sorry I am that that happened to you. Um, my opponent, uh, they they totally lied about my stance, right? I'm, I want to talk about this real briefly because it dovetails. I think that the city council should do a deep dive into our response to COVID and put guardrails up so what happened to you never happens again. Never happens again. We, we have to, if, if listen, 
if the zombie apocalypse is upon us and, and we have to have vaccines, you should be able to take a leave and not lose any back pay, seniority. You know, a year later, things are normal. You come back and you could buy back your time and you could fit right in. But most importantly, I don't think, especially a, a new vaccine, a new vaccine should never, ever, we should never, ever be forced in anybody to take it, anybody to take it. So again, I'm so sorry that that happened to you. Um, going back um, to my, I was on the PTA president. I was working with the schools uh, people. I represent a lot of kids and families in the Asian community. Back in September of 21, we were starting schools and my parents were terrified. They were terrified of coming back to school. So I'm on I'm on Facebook having a dialogue saying, okay, what if we make COVID vaccines and flu vaccines mandatory for the kids? This was a conversation that I was having. Okay. I don't think we should do that now. But back then, we're trying to just, you know, throw ideas out there. And and my opponents, disingenuous liars, say that Vito Labella wants to require everybody in the country to get vaccines. I never said that. I'd like, we're going to knock on the door and say, uh, Mr. Macari, I'm sorry, I record say you don't have these vac vaccines. Uh, Nurse Jones here is going to come in and vaccinate you. That's bull. That's baloney, right? I never said that, never implied that. I was trying to have a dialogue to try to make parents feel comfortable. But the, and again, we have to also differentiate between vaccines that have been around for 50 years that, that everybody's kids have been getting for 50 years and this new vaccine that's totally different that I believe the government did lie to us or didn't tell us the full truth about the side effects of these vaccines. The government should never lie to you. They give you the pros and the cons, whatever they are, and then you have to decide. And that's no matter what issue we're talking about. Well, you know, I, I wish you nothing but luck in your endeavors, especially getting elected to the uh, New York City Council. And what's important and dear, dear, dear to me is, you know, John and I started this podcast together, but John had started on social media, really reaching out and, and, and opposing the vaccine mandate and started to build a name for himself. And I was silenced by the unions and the police department while I was being attacked by an overzealous civilian complaint review board which coincided with New York City Council, of course, and what was utilized and weaponized against me was the disciplinary matrix. And also the, the statute of limitations were all exceeded on my cases, but the, the mandate by the governor to allow statute of limitations to exceed because of emergency exception was, again, weaponized against me. So I, I vowed to be the catalyst for change with the civilian complaint review board and the discipline matrix. So I, I do hope and intend Thank you. I do hope and intend if you if you get elected that you can be infectious to other city council members. Explain to them that Eric Dim, which is a veteran lieutenant from the police department, savvy and intrusive police work. And I'm not the only one. There are so many others are not going to be out there helping out with public safety because you, you're having them removed because the civilian complaint review board, you know, with this ideology that intrusive police work is is, is evil where it's actually it's 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 helping communities if anything we're the ones doing community service we're helping communities by getting these illegal firearms off the street so i, I wish you nothing but luck in your endeavors it's been a pleasure to meet you and i wish do you, you guys, well. do you guys know medical freedom party do you guys work with them john do you know the medical freedom party no, i don't i mean I, we we kind of stay on our own you know we're kind of uh outliers we're like the black sheep of uh of of new york city 
So they're um, a political and- party. They they have they have candidates. I'm going to send you contact information. Steve Spears, the head of it. Uh, I'm I'm endorsed by them. Uh, again, okay. I'm I'm not anti-vaccine. I'm anti-mandate. I'm anti-mandate. Um, you Listen, know, I'm the same, dude. And my, and my whole thing, my whole take on it was I, I received COVID-19 in the line of duty. I get it while yeah. I'm out there when we don't even have equipment, when there's no vaccine, I get it infected. I get my antibody tested. I have it. And the medical division and the city of New York are telling me I have to take the vaccine to get antibodies. I show them my antibody exam, which shows my antibodies are through the roof. And they tell me, no, you need to have antibodies. And I was like, wait a minute. And I asked three questions. I said, how many antibodies will the vaccine give me? How long will they last? And why are the the antibodies that I have not good? Those three questions. And you know what I was told? If you don't take the shot in seven days, you're going to get fired. And they denied my religious liberty. They denied my religious exemption. They said they cited that I I cited COVID-19 vaccine misinformation. I never said one word about the vaccine. I never said anything about it. I didn't didn't talk one word about the vaccine other than I don't feel that I have to take it. I have internal conversations with God. I believe God healed me. I believe God gave me these antibodies. I believe that there is no need for me to take medicine that I have the antibodies for, which is clearly stated in the Bible twice where it says that that Jesus says, those who are sick are in need of a doctor and those who are not, do not. And I'm like, you can interpret that any way you want, but that's, this is the way that I interpret it. I'm, I'm a, a born and raised a Roman Catholic, and, but I'm, I'm a believer of Christ in the Bible before I align with any church or any priest or any pope or anything of that, I believe. So it was just the hypocrisy and the lies of the whole thing, and then shutting my children out. Then, it, you know, it was bigger than me, dude. It was much bigger than me. It was much bigger than all of us. It was the, the fact that they went on the children. I'm a, a product of New York City Public Schools. Eric's a product of New York City Public Schools. My children were going through the New York City Public School. I was invested in my community. I, I shopped locally. I cared about my region. And New York City sending people like me and you out and we're being put on the back burner um so many issues we could talk about but i'm glad you came on it's you know it's a pleasure to meet you and i think you know we would love to have you back on go further and talk about other things too because i think there's just so much stuff that we could cover and we're not even touching we're we're just barely scratching the surface but if you could tell everybody where we could find you where your podcast is going to be and also if you could go into what is the main difference between you and the other candidates and why people should be voting for you? Okay, so Vito Labella for New York.com. My podcast, Vito Labella Fighting for New York, is gonna is going to premiere on Spotify and uh um Apple uh, Apple Play uh, as well as YouTube next week. And um look, the other two people, uh Susan is uh she she spent her career working um with uh, a politician right in the politician's office um the other person has zero experience she lies about her experience she lies about her advocacy i won't even mention her name um but i have 32 years of of minutiae and institutional knowledge of the nypd and another seven years of institutional knowledge about the board of education 
right? The Department of Ed, Department of Education. Now it's called New York City Public Schools. That's the latest branding. So seven years, I could bore you so much about fair student funding and uh, multi-language learners and, and migrants and all of this stuff. It'll make your eyes bleed. But here's what won't happen. I'll go into a meeting with public school, with the legislative assistant in the, in, in, um, the uh, public school in New York City in the Tweed building, and they won't be able to snow me. They won't be able to gaslight me. They won't be able to do a, so their song and dance because I know I've been dealing with it for seven years. When I go in to speak to um, people in the NYPD, they're not going to be able to stroke me because I know what the deal is, right? I know that, yeah, okay, index crimes are one thing, but all this other stuff, that's what we're really talking about. I tell you, I can talk to them. I have experience. I have knowledge. And I have the temperament. Dude, I talk to everybody. As police supervisor, we're all lieutenants. We, I worked in Manhattan my whole career. I dealt with everybody from all over the world. My cops were from all over the world. And I'm able to quarterback it and try to engage people, find common ground where we can to move forward. That's the main difference between me and the other two candidates. Eric, you got anything? Yeah, I think it's a great synopsis. I, you know, I think it's awesome that we really address the issues with the vaccine mandates. I think this is great that you're running for city council. And we get to discuss these issues because you you're, you have an opportunity really to be firsthand with these vaccine mandates, with the issues with schools, the comparison with the migrant crisis. You know, it's it's really unfair that there's reasonable accommodations for illegal migrants when there's no reasonable accommodations for a New York City police lieutenant. Just completely unfair, and we show the hypocrisy there. Again, you know, we're all part of a migrant process ourselves, being Americans. But again, we are here; we're, we're citizens. And he, you know, as a law enforcement professional, you should have there should be reasonable accommodations for you before we have migrants that have not been vetted. But with that, also again, in my case in particular, I really am advocating for change with the CCRB, New York City Council. The connection between both this discipline matrix is really affecting the cops right now. We can you, you talked about safety. Safety is paramount. We cannot have safety back unless we have intrusive police work. We cannot have intrusive police work unless we have the support of the city council. We need the support of the civilian complaint review board. We need this disciplinary matrix completely revamped because again, these aggravating factors. If you have an opportunity to see our episode where we talk about the discipline matrix, we really break it down to where it's being weaponized to remove best cops that the police department has to offer completely emasculated as john said and we're wearing down to a police department that is not prepared to get the city back to where it needs to be even if you yourself can turn the city council over today we're we're just we don't have the police department to actually conduct that type of business and get it to where we are so i with that i, I wish you luck of course uh thank you so much for coming on it's been a pleasure Send me talking points on the things that concern you, John, you too, talking points, the research. And that's how I learn. I, I, I take stuff and I read it, do my due diligence. And I say, OK, let's talk about this. Let's talk about that. I want to be an extra voice along with you guys to get the message out. No, absolutely. We appreciate that. Vito, before I let you go, one other thing. Um, police unions, did they endorse you? Uh, so, I mean, does everybody understand that uh, this is a political calculation that the police unions make they have absolutely. to you can talk about that absolutely they have to line up with the dems because listen they got to look after their members 
And if they if they only support Republicans, you know, when the when when the police union comes and asks for this legislation or that legislation, it's going to be like, why should we why should we deal with you? Why should we give you guys anything? You know, because you never support us. So I get it. Um, the LBA did endorse me in the primary. They did endorse me last year for Senate. The LBD certainly did. The LBA certainly did. It's so funny because guys, I got to tell you this inside baseball. You see of uh, the people, the poll workers that show up, you know, hundreds of them in front of all the different polling places on election day. Many of them are union members, all the different unions. Okay. People come in from Long Island. They're the, 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 the head of this union, that, that union. Oh, I'm on the executive board here. And, uh, is like, oh, we're, we're, we're handing out we're handing out cards for the Democrats. I go, you're Democrat? Oh, no, I'm a Republican. But, you know, the union asks us to do this because we have to support the Democrat candidates. That's what's going on. I get it. Listen, we're all retired. We got to take the cops. The cops are going to have to come. They need a politician. So, you know, to get things done. We're, we're looking right now in the, uh, you guys, have, I'm sure, have talked about it. We're all impacted. This, this Medicare law that they want to ram down our throats. For the retirees, they want to put us in a a a, a, Medi a Medicare freedom, some some Medicare group. advantage. Yeah. Medicare advantage. Thank you. Right. Listen, if you want to negotiate with guys on the job now and change their retirement benefits when they retire, that's your business. But once we retire, we're locked in. Same way our pension is locked in, our benefits should be locked in. You don't go and because we don't have an active voice because we can't vote in the union you don't throw us under the bus that's bs right you made a promise to us you made a contract to retirees you got to honor that and that's uh, you know something of course that i would elevate not just for our union but for all of all the unions john i know you're dying to say something and so am i so you know we were probably gonna we were probably gonna uh and this but we we have to keep going John, you want to go first? Or you want me to go first on this? Let me let me just talk real quick, just uh, just about the unions. I am not anti. Don't ever give money to the Democrats. I am not that at all. I have plenty of friends that are Democrats, but they're common sense people. Yes. You want to support Bob Holden? You want to support people that are that that support common sense? I have no problem with it. But here's my problems with the unions, because, Vito, they're, they're listening to this. They're like little girls. They watch. You know, you heard the opening of my thing. That's the vice president, former vice president of the PBA. Couldn't stand that we're out there in the public because everything is political with them, political driven, because they're no longer about the job. They're self-serving. They're in. They're more into hooking up their friends and their family members and jobs for them after. And I'm completely done with the unions and their sellouts. However. Me being done with them, I still like to I still like to lead from behind and I still like to give them a little free consulting. So <laughs> when we had New York City Council members uh, voting to defund the police, voting on the diaphragm law, voting for this 50A, voting to not even voting, but advocating to get rid of SRG and get rid of CCRB and pull this money and come up there and abuse not only the commanders in the NYPD, but the rank and file. And you turn around after they showed you that they, they, they state they're abolitionists, they state they want to defund the police. 
and you endorse and give them money or you sneaky and you don't endorse them and give them money, you're a sellout coward. You're not playing politics because I'll tell you, they all live in Long Island. And when you look at who they endorse in Long Island, it's always Republicans. But yet in New York City, oh, we got to do this because the Democrats control everything. No, we got to get back to supporting the police. We got to get back to having real conversations. We got to get back to having common sense people elected. And I'm sorry, if you voted to defund the police and a police union is giving you a donation, that is not a police union. That is controlled opposition. So that's my message for you guys. Like that's that's literally because they're listening. They're going to listen to this very intently. And that's not to say they should have 100 percent be funding and endorsing you, Vita. Vito, just by hearing you and what you have to say right now. I don't I don't I didn't know your platform before this, but just hearing what you have to say. This is common sense. This is public safety. They should 100 percent be giving you money. Sorry for my rant, <laughs> but and I'm sorry to even bring that up. But it was like it 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 has to be said. I think I think it has to be said. Well, you asked about the unions, right? So yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> but listen, Vito. Before you go ahead, I was dying to say something. So you, so you start saying, it. "Look, I always say opposition meets opportunity," and I get it. Sometimes the union might have to actually fund the opposition, but communications breaks barriers. Right? If they're in communication with their opposition and it's going to break barriers, then I can understand that the money's well spent. But the problem is, and I think I think John actually put a tweet, a tweet about it today, and I was actually thinking about it. Kathy Holchel, who's – I understand. She's Democrat, right? We might fund some Democrats, but are we going to fund Democrats that are anti-police, that spew this anti-police sentiment, this anti-police rhetoric? Because I think it's ironic, and I'm sure she was probably laughing, that simultaneously while she's receiving funded campaign funds from the PBA union and other unions as well, she's also vetoing bills that are in favor of the police department at the same time. That's where I have a problem with the money that's being funded, right? If the money's being funded because it's going to benefit them, okay, then I understand that I'll rub your, we rub elbows, I scratch your back, you scratch mine, but they're funding the money. For what? It's it's not in favor of the police department because John said it is self-serving because it's in favor of them. It's in their best interest for them to further their careers. One thousand percent, they should be endorsing you. You were you can break those barriers. You can have communication. You served the police department for thirty-two years. There's common ground there. There's common allies. You're not anti-police. So there's there's barriers that could be broken there. Again, most of them are not New York City residents. I remember. Lou Turco himself, I was a delegate, so I attended these meetings. Lou Turco was the LBA president. Mm -hmm. At the time, the topic of conversation was Tier 2A. Tier 2A had just got passed for the fire department. And we said, why are we not pushing this proposal for the New York City Police Department? He said, there's no reason to at this time. We don't have any friends in Albany. So if we don't have any friends in Albany, why are we funding them? Thank you. We got to look. Teachers. Teachers are very good. You see a lot of teachers running for office. We got to get more cops running for office. You know, you you know, we have to we have to start mentoring people, and that's another thing I hope to do. Um, look, I'm just a messenger. I'm fighting an uphill battle, an underdog battle. I got a good shot because all I need is a plurality, and we're focusing on Vito Labella, my name, not my party, which is fine. We we do have a shot, but here's the thing: we should be 
seeking out retired cops who are living in the city or living wherever. And we should be giving them the tools. Say, listen, we'd like to hear you. We'd like to teach you. We'd like to give you some resources about how to run. Here's a website. Here are your flyers. Here's this. Here's that. We want people. We, we want to encourage people like us and not just us. Listen, common sense, nurses, doctors, like you said, we have to find these people and we have to give them the tools they need to come forth and serve in government. I love it. Listen, this is a great conversation. I would definitely want to do this again. Let's definitely do it soon. It was great. I, I appreciate it. I, no, no, seriously, it was. And you're 100% right, dude. 150% right. Like, that's exactly what we got to do. Guys, everybody, thank you for tuning in. Um, you know, I believe the only reason that me, Eric, and Vito are able to do what we do is because at this point in our lives, we've become financially independent. Even though I'm still not collecting my pension, I've made good investments in my life. Yeah. Invest in yourself, whether you're young on the job, you're in the middle of your career, or you're towards the end of your career. Small payments over time. Contact our friends at Laidwell Blue. Let them know the finest unfiltered sent, them, sent you there. And uh, start to invest in your future because you don't want to be where you can't speak up and you can't talk about the atrocities that are happening in New York City or across the world. We need strong voices in the world. And you can't do that if you're completely solely dependent on bowing down to the mayor or his appointed lackeys. Law enforcement professionals dedicate their lives to serving and protecting our community. But who's protecting their financial futures? That's where Laidlaw Blue comes in. Our wealth management platform is specifically designed for the law enforcement community. Laidlaw Blue is a division within Laidlaw Wealth Management run by retired New York City detective John McDermott. His status as a retired detective uniquely positions him to establish a deep connection between Laidlaw Blue and the law enforcement community. Our platform is easy to use and provides a range of financial services, including investment management, retirement planning, and insurance solutions. With Laidlaw Blue, you can secure your financial future and provide for your loved ones. Our team of experienced financial advisors understands the unique challenges and opportunities that law enforcement professionals face. We're here to help you navigate the complexities of financial planning and achieve your goals. Laidlaw Blue, secure your financial future today. Book a meeting using the QR code displayed or call us directly on 888-901-BLUE. That's 888-901-BLUE. All right, my brother. Listen, New York's finest, retired and unfiltered podcast. We're not going to sell you any nonsense. It is what it is. We're out here. We're having real conversations. We're bringing real people on, and we're going to keep doing it. Eric, let's do it again, my brother.